0: Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. Well, Life West, it is so good to be with you this morning. And it really is never just another Sunday when we get to be with you. If I haven't met you yet, um, I'm Becca. And um, my husband Samuel and I have the absolute privilege of serving as the pastors here at Life West. And um, we love that we get to be in the house of God with you, even if that house of God is in a middle school cafeteria, right? And it is, it is our hope and prayer that you guys come into this house of God Because you sense the strong presence of the Holy Spirit. And that you want to constantly encounter God. Before we dive into the word to see what God has to say to us, let's pray. Almighty Father God, we come before you in a humbled posture. We come before you and we ask that by your word and your Holy Spirit, that you would enlighten us to who you are and to your goodness. We come before you deeply desiring to hear what you're speaking to us and we are open to your correction and we are open to you shaking up our status quo and disrupting our normal to instill your will in our lives. We thank you that the word spoken today will be in accordance with your word and that it would not simply be information but that it would be revelation that brings transformation in the lives of all who hear it. We pray these things in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ amen. Well, the title of my message is Unexpected, and I thought this was really clever, but I was like, ooh, I know what I can do. I could not show up, and that'd be really unexpected, (laughs) but I decided to, and I actually just caught my sister, who was like, you're not going to wear the hot pink, The hot pink. (laughs) I read a story this week that I wanted to share with you. Last Christmas, Grandpa was feeling his age and found that shopping for Christmas gifts had become too difficult. So he decided to send checks to everyone instead. In each card, he wrote, Buy your own present. And then he mailed them early. Well, he enjoyed the usual flurry of family festivities and holiday parties. And it was only after the holiday that he realized he hadn't received many cards in return. And so he was perplexed. He went into his study because he was going to sit down and write to some family members to say, oh, you know, what happened? And it was then, to his horror, as he shuffled papers aside, that he realized there were the gift checks he meant to include in the cards. So instead of sending checks with the card, he just sent a card saying, buy your own present. I'm, I'm guessing that his family members had all been expecting something very different. You know, when I was um, growing up, I, I lived for soccer. Soccer was um, our family's thing. It was, it was what we did. And when my senior year rolled around, I had been playing on the varsity team since my freshman year, and, and I'd had I'd made captain, and I was so excited because I really wanted to go to school to play soccer, I really wanted to go to a big state school. That was was my dream. And it was spring, and so I had already done college applications, and I only only applied to two schools. Well, my first scrimmage of my senior season, I planted my foot on a kick, and I went to kick. And instead of keeping my weight on this foot, I kind of was transferring it. And mid-transfer, a girl on the other team threw a kick, missed the ball, and hooked my foot and took my foot this way, and this foot didn't shift. So I fell down, and I was sitting there, and I realized my knee was on its side. I, I just couldn't lift my knee up. So I picked it up with my hands and set it down, and then I tried to get up and walk off the court, or the field, and I, I couldn't do it. So finally, they blew the whistle, and the referee came over, and he's like, Cochran, so I made a name, Cochran, what are you doing? I'm like, get up off the ground. And I said, I, I can't get up. And so, you know, I had some people carry me off to the side. And my dad was there and he's a physician. And he said, Beck, you're you're done. Like you're, you're your knees done. You're, you're not playing soccer anymore. And in that moment, I realized, now that I'm an adult, I realize that in the torrential rainpour of issues that we can deal with in life, that that's just a raindrop. I've dealt with bigger things. But in that moment, that was my life. I had only, I had only applied to one other school. And so now I was going to be leaving all of my friends in, in Wisconsin, and I was going to be moving to Michigan. And I was so disappointed. And when, when we have unmet expectations, it can be so disappointing, can't it? And this time of year, this time of year comes with expectations, right? Some people, when, when the holidays come around, they dream of cozy nights by the fire, unwrapping Christmas gifts with lov- lov- loved ones, or eating, eating all of their favorite foods until their heart's content. But for others, they look at Christmas and and for them, it it brings the memory that they are forgotten and alone. They recall past Christmases where there were no gifts, there was no tree, there were no good meals, no warmth. As I was preparing for this message, I I read and reread through the accounts of Jesus' birth from the books of Luke and and the book of Matthew. And what I saw is while the the two storylines are very parallel, the facts that they tell or the, the, the way they tell it are vastly different. In Luke, you have your basic Broadway show tunes compilation. Everybody's excited. Everybody's singing and dancing, and there's fist pumping and jazz hands. It's a party. You know, first first you have have Elizabeth, and, and Elizabeth finds out she's pregnant. And so she's excited. And then Mary, Mary finds out she's she's pregnant, and so she's excited, and Mary runs to visit Elizabeth, and the baby in Elizabeth's womb is so excited that Mary is pregnant with the Savior that he starts a a mini dance party, And, and the music builds, and they break out into song, and then Elizabeth's baby John is born. And Zechariah, his dad, is so excited. So Zechariah starts singing, and the music builds, and the music builds, and Jesus is born. And, and then the angels are singing, and everyone is fist-pumping and jazz-handing, and it is a party. In Matthew, though, it's very, very different. If you, if Matthew reads a whole lot more like a, a daytime soap opera. If you read with me in Matthew 1.18, it says, This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Matthew begins, and he's he's factual. Mary's pregnant. Her fiancé isn't the dad. I mean, most of us get to that point and we, we cringe a little. We think, oh, it's not really a great beginning. And then Matthew goes on. And in the second line of his account of Jesus' birth, divorce is mentioned. Joseph has decided he, he's going to divorce Mary. But instead, an angel comes and says, don't divorce her. Stick, stick this out. And so he stays with her, but he doesn't sleep with her until the baby is born. Then we have the, the three wise men coming and in a move that I don't see as being all that wise, they stop to visit Herod on their way to search for Jesus. And so they go to the Herod and they say, hey, we are, we're looking for the king of the Jews. Now Herod isn't a Jew, but he has been put in authority by the Roman Empire who's ruling at the time. And the Roman Empire has given him the title, king of the Jews. So when these three wise men come and say they're looking for the true king of the Jews, he rightly feels threatened. And what you need to remember is this is the same Herod who when he felt like his wife and two sons threatened his rule, killed him. So the, the three wise men go to visit Jesus, and then they split because they're in danger, right? And then Jesus or Joseph is given a dream in the middle of the night. And God says, wake up and take Mary and the baby and flee to Egypt because Herod is coming to murder the baby. In Luke, it's, it's all show tunes, fist bumps and jazz hands. In Mary, it's the mournful cries of mothers who have lost their children because Herod has slaughtered them in his desperate search for Jesus. Does that, does that mean that that one account is true and the other one isn't? No. That means that, that Jesus was born into real life. Because we all understand that, right? We all understand what it is to be in a season of celebration. But then we understand what it is to be in a season of sorrow. It's real life. Even, even in this church, we have those who have recently lost loved ones. And on the other hand, we have couples who, after years of praying, are finally able to start families. Christmas is a time to celebrate the fulfilled expectation of Christ come to earth, even as we wait in expectation of the things that haven't been fulfilled yet. Look with me at Matthew two fourteen and 15. The word says, that night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Even in the chaos of that first Christmas season, God was working to fulfill the prophecies that he had put in place. He was using a devastating and dangerous moment to begin showing the sureties of his promises to humanity. And, you know, we realize now that Jesus being born was meant to upset the spiritual and political climate at the time, and that things like that don't happen without tension, without battle, without messiness. I have a friend who recently had her second child, and they headed out on a typical family vacation to the mountains of Tennessee. And when she got back, I said, hey, you know how, how was the trip? And she said, it was great. And then without complaining, she said, but vacation isn't really vacation after you have kids. Right? No sleeping in. No lingering over a long, nice meal out. You have extra packing to do. You have extra food to think about. You have to think about sleep schedules. But it's so much better. And I, I remember realizing in that moment when she was talking to me that often the biggest blessings come with the most work. Right? We think, once I get that job, it'll be smooth sailing. Once I marry that person or have a baby, it'll my life will be complete. Once I make the grade, make the team, I earn such an amount of money, life will be good. The word tells us in Proverbs fourteen four. It says, "Without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest." Okay, we're talking about Jesus being born. Now we're talking about oxen. What does that mean? It means that with the blessings in our life comes a messiness. If you have an ox, you need to feed the ox. If you feed an ox, you got to clean up after an ox. But you get the blessing that the ox brings. So often we want the blessing and not the struggle that comes with it. There's a key player in the New Testament named John, and John's whole mission in life was to prophesy and prepare for the coming of the Messiah. So he had spent his entire life listening to God and tuning in to prepare the way for the Savior. And John 129, we read this. It says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I didn't recognize him as the Messiah, but I had been baptizing in water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. Okay, so let's take a vote. We're going to vote on if John thinks Jesus is the chosen one of God. Okay, so no's. No, God, John does not think Jesus is the chosen one of God. Okay, yeses. Je- John thinks Jesus is the chosen one of God. Right? I mean, John, John literally just said, I testify that Jesus is the chosen one of God. He is testifying that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Savior, and he is really convinced. And you gotta remember, he spent his entire life preparing for this moment. He was not going to mess it up. So what does this have to do with disappointments? John looked for Jesus. John found Jesus. Doesn't sound very disappointing to me. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah that we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Wait, huh? who's asking this question? There's no way that this is the same John who just loudly testified that Jesus was the Messiah. But it is. So here we have John, who's in prison. It seems to me that in this moment, John is struggling with the content of his own sermon. He had preached about the Messiah's kingdom coming with power and authority. Instead, we have Jesus showing up with a ministry of grace and forgiveness. And in the midst of all of this, John finds himself rotting away in some prison cell. This gentle Jesus is hardly the political deliverer that everyone was expecting. And John is very likely experiencing the raw feelings that, yay, Jesus has come. But wait, everything isn't taken care of yet. John knows that Jesus is the Messiah, but I'm guessing that in his humanity, he's doing what often you and I do when we experience trials, and that is get impatient. And you have to remember that there are others. The Jews have been waiting for the Messiah for 400 years. They've been waiting for their king, and I'm guessing they were sorely disappointed in what they got, because what they got was not a king. They got, they got a baby, Whose first move was to be rescued to Egypt while the other Israelite babies died? you know um, I wonder I like to do this thing with um, Bible stories where I, I kind of throw in the the what if and I switch the story around like well what if what if the opposite had happened and so You know, I wonder what would have happened if Jesus had been born and then, poof, all of our struggles had disappeared. Or if Jesus had died and rose again and then, poof, all of our struggles had disappeared. Samuel just got done preaching a series of messages on hearing the voice of God. And so I look at this story and I think, I wonder, I wonder what it would have been like if any of the key players hadn't been tuned into hearing God. If, if any of the key players had been like, mm, no. I mean, we just, we just talked about John, and, and in John one thirty one it says that John said he didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah, but he'd been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed. And then he tells us in verse 33 that when God sent John to start baptizing, he had told him that's how the Messiah would be revealed. So he'd been like, hey, you know, to me, this sounds a little bit sword in the stone-ish, right? Whoever doth pull thy sword out of thy stone shall be king. You know, God says, hey, John, go get people back," And then when you, when you pull them up out of the water, pay attention. Because the Holy Spirit's going to descend on one of them, and that's the Messiah. Now, God, God knows who it is, but John just admitted that he doesn't. You know, if I were John, I would have been grabbing people left and right and just like dunking him under and being like, okay, not the one. And then dunking the on under, okay, not the one, you know? Um, but what if, what if John had been like, oh, man, you know, I'm chilling in the desert and this is, this is good, you know. I'm away from people. Why don't you just go find somebody else to jump in the dirty Jordan? What if Joseph hadn't taken heed to the dream and he had said, you know what? Ooh, I'm just going to hit snooze on that dream. And they hadn't escaped to Egypt. What if it was modern day and Mary had a very convenient way to get get rid of an unwanted pregnancy? And she could just mistake what God was saying to her as a queasiness. I love that the people in this story were tuned in to hearing the voice of God because it prompted them to act on their faith now, ask yourself this, if the gospel worked according to your expectations, what, what would it look like? Because I think most of us wouldn't say this, but, but we think, we think if I obey and honor God, if, if I love the Lord, then I am going to have a killer marriage. My kids are always going to obey. My bank account is going to always be in surplus. I'm not going to have temptations. I'm not going to have sickness. And what does, what does the world expect? You know, the world's expectations are, are completely opposite of ours. Our expectation, is, our expectation is obey God equals have a great life. And the world's expectations are forget God equals have a great life. You know, if you look around, even in West Michigan, you might mistakenly think that Christmas has nothing to do with Christ. I went by a display at um, one of the area uh, libraries, and it was in the kids' section, and it was this tower of dozens of books. And on the um, display was how people around the world celebrate Christmas. And so I, I expected to see books on Hanukkah and Kwanzaa, and there they were, um, and celebrating these religions, celebrating real things, cultures celebrating, real beliefs, real ideologies. And so I was looking for a book on Christmas. And, and I found two. The first one was about Christmas cookies for Santa. And the second one was about finding the right tree. Now initially when I wrote that, I accidentally wrote funding and Samuel and I bought a fake Christmas tree last year, no booing. Um, and funding is about right. <laughs> Man, you, those things are expensive. <laughs> Anyhow, um, there, there was not a single book, not one, that mentioned Jesus. If the birth that dictated when our modern calendar for humanity began doesn't make the cut in what we celebrate at Christmas? How do we expect the world to have an expectation for Jesus? You know, I think as Christians, we need to be that light. We need to be the ones that show the world what an expectation Of Christmas is what an expectation of of the not yet we have Jesus birth the already the things he came to fulfill but we we have the not yet we need to show them what that expectation is but instead so often it's easy to get caught up in the busyness of parties and and shopping and all of that and and there is nothing wrong with that we love giving gifts we love putting up the tree we love getting together with family But so often, we fulfill all of those other obligations, and then we struggle to fit God in. I have a story that illustrates this well. On a particular occasion, a professor was speaking to a group of his business students about time management, and in order to drive home the point, he used the following illustration. He pulled out a one-gallon wide mouth mason jar and set it on the table in front of him. Then he produced about a dozen fist-sized rocks and carefully placed them one at a time into the jar. When the jar was filled to the top and no more rocks would fit inside, he asked, is this jar full? Everyone responded, yes. And he said, really? He reached under the table, pulled out a bucket of gravel, then he dumped some gravel in, shook it, dumped some more in, causing the pieces of gravel to work themselves down between the big rocks. Then he smiled and asked the group once more, is this jar full? By this time, the class was catching on, and so one voice said, Uh, probably not. Good, he replied, and he reached under the table, brought out a bucket of sand. He started dumping the sand in and shifting it, and went to all the spaces left between the rocks and the gravel. Once more, he asked the question, Is this jar full? No, the class shouted. Once again, he said, Good. Then he grabbed a pitcher of water and began to pour it until the jar was filled to the brim. Then he looked up at the class and asked, what's the point of this illustration? A student raised his hand and said, the point is, no matter how full your schedule is, you can always fit one more thing in. (laughs) No, the professor replied, that's not the point. The truth this illustration teaches us is, if you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in at all. We're talking about priorities things that are to be placed in order of importance. At Christmas, I think, many of us sing, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. But are we still expecting? Are we still putting him front and center? Are we anticipating his coming and working to advance the kingdom of God? Or have we become a people who has a form of godliness but denies its power, like Timothy says? We need to spend time at Christmas reflecting on the peace that Jesus was born to bring into our hearts and our spirits. And there are those of us, there are those of us who who do still have strong expectations for Jesus. And the thing is, even when those expectations are biblical, as John's were, we still tend to see them through a lens of impatience. We suppose that if God has promised to act, then he should do it now. As if God's entire purpose works according to Becca's schedule. Oh, that would be nice. But if everything, if everything were perfect, then we wouldn't be waiting for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Everything would be taken care of. I don't sit and let my mouth water over a filet mignon that I'm going to have next week if it's right in front of me right we we don't if we if we already have something we we wouldn't be searching for it we wouldn't be seeking God and he wouldn't be calling us to partner with him in the story of how he won the hearts of his children if everything was taken care of instead in our disappointments proverbs 23:18 tells us to continue to fear the lord it says you will be rewarded for this your hope will not be disappointed And when we do that, when we do that, when in our disappointments, we hang on to the hope of Jesus, we're able to experience empathy and holy expectation. So in the tension of the already and the not yet, I want us to hang on to the expectation of the good things that God has promised us in his word. And when it appears our expectations are dashed or when we feel stuck in trials as John was, let us remind ourselves of the very response that Jesus gave to John's disciple when they came with the question, are you the Messiah? This is what he said. Jesus told them, Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. We should always hesitate to assume that the gospel doesn't work when our expectations aren't being met. And when we can't see the big picture, when we struggle to connect the truth of who Jesus is with our current reality, then we must embrace the limitations of our understanding. And that inability to understand Jesus' actions should give us cause for worship and adoration, not cause for doubt. Because Jesus Jesus was willing to disappoint everyone but the Father. He disappointed the disciples, he disappointed the Israelites, he disappointed his family and he's willing to disappoint us too because he sees the bigger picture. He's willing to allow us to struggle in some of the the things that we're going through because he knows the joy that we'll receive in the long term because of what he has fulfilled. And if, if you're celebrating in this season, then Jesus is with you. He loves that. He came to give us life and life to the fullest. But if you, if you are hurting, hurting in this season, Jesus has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten you. And we can, we can honor him and the Father by, by taking time to seek him. And to recall that he was born for for the already and for the not yet. He says in Luke 4.18, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. I love that even in that scripture, there is an already the Lord has come. The year of his favor has come. And, and not yet. The prisoners will be released. People will be healed. Will be set free. And Jesus knows that if things aren't ideal right now, that when everyone else sings joy to the world and celebrating it can be hard, that's okay. He's with you. Also, I just found out this week that joy to the world was actually written about the second coming. Not about Christmas. Now, it fits Christmas, but the writer was actually trying to say, when he comes back, we'll have the fulfillment of all of these things. So in this season, I just really want us to take time to behold Jesus. We are actually, um, some of us on uh, the Bible app, are doing an Advent Uh, 25 day reading plan and you are welcome to just join in on that Um, it's right on the Bible app uh, and uh, hop on there it just gives you a pause to put the big things first to remember God first thing and to have questions before us that that we're pondering throughout the day um, as we go through the Christmas season and you know as I look back at the accounts of Jesus birth that we read I love that both the celebration in the morning are there Because we can clearly see that, yes, Jesus was born into the real world. And when we look closely, we see that, yes, Mary is expecting a baby. But I think Mary knew she was told that this would change everything. So she was birthing an expectation for the church and for the entire world. And I love that tucked right there in that story, there is a word for the church today in 2019 that we are going to be part of what's bringing about this spiritual shift that started all the way back at creation. You know, I just I just feel in my spirit that the church the church is preparing. People are preparing to get healed. Hearts hearts are preparing to be reconciled to God. We're getting ready to storm the gates of heaven, to win the lost, to love them with Jesus' love. And I love that we still get to partner in that because if there was not, and if we only had the already and we didn't have the not yet, then we wouldn't have a role, but God has asked us to partner with him in bringing about the fulfillment of what he asked his church to look like. To take his word to the ends of the earth. That's right. So I want you to spend time this week contemplating, God, how do I, how do I put him first? And Samuel's, you know, spent this whole series, Frequency, talking about hearing from God and I think we are so good at having stuff like this or cell phones in our back pocket that that we don't ever pause to listen so I would encourage you honestly put on some warm clothes go for a walk silence everything else and just ask God how you can honor him in this season how you can put him first and he will speak to you and he will show you how to love him and honor him and he will excite you with expectations and he will comfort you in your disappointments thanks for listening our mission here at Life West Church is to see you equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.